What a joy to be here in Summerton today and to be here with your pastor and his family, whom we love very, very much. And the great heritage and the history of this church. I could take a long time visiting people I've known out of this church congregation for years. But I want to get right into the word of the Lord this morning. There's times that I, I'm driving down the road. I wished I was in the pulpit somewhere. And there have been times I've been in the pulpit somewhere. I wished I was riding down the road somewhere. <laughs> and sometimes I, you know, it's very difficult when you travel around every Sunday to you hope you hit the message right. You trust you've got a word for a congregation. But really you don't know those people and they don't know you. But if I've ever in my ministry ever felt like I had a message for a church, boy, that's going out on a thin limb right there. I believe I got a word for you this morning. You have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 11. Very familiar passage of Scripture as we enter the Easter week. I don't even remember last time I preached on this subject. I think I do, but it's been a long, long time. If I'd have had my druthers, I'd rather not have preached what I'm going to preach this morning. I'd rather preach something else. I'd like to pull the candy stick out and brought the cotton candy and the Twinkies and the Fruit Loops and the, everything that tastes sweet and good and the honey buns and rivet. But I'm telling you, I've got a word, I believe. God will just help me. Jesus receives word from two great friends of his, Martha and Mary, who lived in Bethany, that your friend Lazarus is sick and he's dying. The Bible literally says it this way, that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He stayed in their home a lot. And he does an odd thing. He, sometimes Jesus does odd stuff. That's not disrespectful to the Lord. I mean, who goes and spits and clay and smears it on a man's eyes? If you did that down at Walmart, you'd get arrested today. He just stays two more days in the same spot and does nothing that we know of. And finally, he tells his disciples, well, it's time to go to Lazarus' house. Lazarus is sleeping. They say, well, if he's asleep, it's good for him. Maybe he's getting some rest. Jesus said, no, Lazarus is dead. But I'm glad for your sakes that I didn't make it on time. And they're on the road to Bethany, and they see a familiar face that's coming down the road, and it's the road of Lazarus' sister Martha, the server. She's known as a server. She serves people. And she begins a little sermonette to Jesus. Lord, if you'd have been here on time, my brother would not have died. Yet I believe anything you ask God, he will give it to you. He said, Martha, your brother is going to rise again. She said, well, Lord, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection. It's right there in chapter 11. I'm just summarizing some of this, and I'm going to land in just a moment. He said, Martha, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me and believeth this thing shall never die. You, you believe that? She said, I know one thing. I know you are the Christ. You're the Messiah that's come into this world. She goes and gets Mary. Doesn't say Jesus said go get Mary. She just surmised it, I guess, or maybe it's left out. And When Mary gets there, he's still in the same spot he was in before. I don't know all the significance of Jesus not moving one step till he waited for the second sister to arrive, but that's what he did. And Mary comes and finds Jesus, and she's, she's weeping. And the people are weeping, and Martha's probably weeping. The Bible says it this way, and Jesus groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That's more than just shedding a crocodile tear and sniffing a little bit for the television. It literally means like a horse that is a, in a full gallop and its nostrils are flaring and it's breathing in air. It literally means the same thing as a horse that's snorting. In other words, Jesus is getting into this crying at this moment. And all of a sudden, the Bible said that Jesus wept. And he said, where have you laid him? And they took him to the spot. And I'm going to pick up with verse 38 if you have your Bibles. Then Jesus came again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you will believe, you will see the glory of God? We've sung about seeing the glory this morning. In fact, we've sung about a lot of my message this morning. In fact, if Jamie hadn't hushed up, she was going to preach my message this morning. <laughs> then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. You've heard me. I know you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you have sent me. And now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice. Three times in the Bible, it talks about Jesus speaking with a loud voice, and every time he does, somebody gets up from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out. Notice he came out bound. He came out bound, head and foot with grave clothes. He didn't just have a little wrapped around him. I imagine he almost came out like this. He looked like a mummy. He was just bound from the top to the bottom with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. This story means more. Then Jesus felt sorry for a couple of friends, and he thought he would just stop by. Excuse me for wiping my nose. It's pollen season, if you don't know that. 
and felt sorry for them and thought he had dropped by and raised their brother from the dead, his friend. It's all wrapped up in his statement to Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. 1 John chapter 5, 12, we used to walk around with these, see people with these t-shirts on that says, got milk? Question mark. Well, you could almost say it with this passage of scripture. He who has the son has life, and he who does not the son no life. You see, this world is full of people who are spiritually dead and physically alive at the same time. They're walking and breathing and living and eating and fussing at their kids and trying to get them up for school in the morning, but they're just as spiritually dead as Lazarus was physically dead. Spiritual death is a terrible thing. It causes people to weep. It causes moms to weep. Some of you in this place, you have a lost son or daughter, dads to weep. And you've shed tears over that lost son and daughter. Like my granddad, I heard him as many times go in the back room for his daily prayer. And I've heard him moan and groan and cry over a son who one time knew the Lord but was lost in the United States Army and backslid from the Lord. It, it's, it, but the good news is you're not alone in your weeping today. If you're weeping over those in your family who are spiritually dead, Jesus weeps right alongside of you because right beside of Martha and Mary, Jesus does a significant thing. He's not weeping because Lazarus is dead. He knows in a few moments Lazarus is going to come out of that tomb alive. He's showing us a lesson here. If you're weeping over someone in your family that's spiritually dead, I want you to know I weep right alongside of you. Jesus wept over the lost of the world. Jesus loves lost souls. He cares about people who are spiritually dead. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Every time he saw spiritually dead people, he was dying inside because he saw them as sheep that were scattered with no one to lead them. Jesus loves the lost. Say that with me. Jesus loves the lost of this world. We see this even demonstrated during Palm Sunday week when Jesus set up the seating arrangement at the last supper that he had with his disciples. Do you know who he chose as the guest of honor at the last supper? It wasn't Jesus. James and John and Simon Peter, but Judas Iscariot was sitting in the position around the table where the guest of honor was to seat. How, how do you know that? Because he took a piece of lamb stew and, and unleavened bread that he had just dipped out of the bowl and he placed it in the mouth of Judas. That was the sign around the table who the guest of honor was. You know what he was saying to Judas, Judas, I know what you're fixing to do, but one more last time I'm telling you boy you don't have to do what you're about to do I'm reaching out to you in love you're a lost soul Jesus loves the loss of the world 
But the good news is he not only loves those who are spiritually dead, but he raises up those who are spiritually dead to eternal life, if you please. A wonderful, wonderful Easter scripture not even found in the Gospels, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, if you're taking notes, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, not when we were on the church roll and shouting down the aisle of the Summerton Church of God, but he loved us when we were dead. In trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I declare to you on this Palm Sunday that he is the resurrection and the life and whatever he touches comes alive. When anything that is dead comes into contact with Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life, it comes alive. We say anything dead ought to be buried. That's not what God says. God says anything dead ought to be resurrected. Anything dead ought to be raised up. I'm glad he's not in the embalming business. I'm glad he's not in the funeral home business. Thanks be to the Lord on this Palm Sunday. I declare he's alive and he's in the resurrecting and raising up business. Hallelujah. Jesus stopped the funeral procession one day at the city of Nain. The woman was going to bury her only son. When Jesus touched that boy's body, it came alive. I'm telling you, whenever Jesus touches something, one or two things are going to happen. It's either going to get power or it's going to lose its hold. It's going to lose power. I've never read in God's Word where Jesus touched anything and it remained static. It remained stable. It remained neutral. It remained the same. When he touches it, it changes like we sang about this morning. He touched clay and it become holy anointing oil. He touched the lad's lunchbox and it became a virtual feast for a multitude of people. He touched water and it became wine enough to feed the banquet. He touched blinded eyes and they could see. He touched lame limbs and they could leap. He touched dumb tongues and they could talk. He touched deaf ears and they could see. I'm telling you when Jesus touches something it's going to change. Hallelujah. He causes life to enter into places where death has previously taken over. You get that? Son of man, can these bones live? That's a good example. Lord, I do not know. Open up your mouth and prophesy unto these bones. We sang about that this morning. I don't think there's a whole lot left that they didn't sing about today. Prophesy unto these bones that they shall live. When the man of God, the prophet of God did it, they came together and grew flesh and stood up with breath entered to them and become an exceeding great army. Jesus lands at the graveyard on the front end of a boat. He's standing in a place where death has taken over. And there's a man there that nobody can tame, clothe, or even talk to. 
But when Jesus Christ is finished with his work, that man is sitting like a Philadelphia lawyer learning at the feet of Jesus. I'm telling you, when Jesus steps into a dead place, it changes. He causes life to enter places where death has already taken up residence and is roosting and living. Hallelujah. Like Martha and Mary, you may think it's too late for your loved one. Lord, he's been dead four days. By now, he stinks. You see, the Jews believe, common Jewish belief was that the spirit of the man or woman hung around the body for three days. But after four days, it, all hope was gone. But I'm telling you, Jesus is never late. Martha thought he was late. Mary thought he was late. But he's always on time. And when he gets there, he'll take care of business. Amen. This world is full of people that are spiritually dead and physically alive at the same time. But the good news is, the news of Easter is Jesus is all about resurrection. He's about raising up the spiritually dead to new life. But let me notice, let you see something here that I want you to, I want you to think about. He stood at the mouth of the tomb and he called Lazarus by name. Lazarus came forth and he was bound in grave clothes. He raised him up, but he was still bound. He raised him up, but the grave clothes were still sticking to his body. And that's the subject I'm speaking on today. I might as well go ahead and give you the title in the middle of it, right? Raised up, but unwrapped, raised up, but unwrapped. It is possible to be raised up by Jesus and still be wrapped up, not have the wrapper off, still have the grave clothes of a past life clinging and hanging on your spiritual body. But the good news is Jesus not only raises up, but he unwraps. Hallelujah. Wouldn't it be great when people find the Lord that they walk down the aisle already sanitized and hyperallergenic and shrink wrapped? But I'm telling you, the harvest that you and I are dealing with, it's not that way. You may get them saved, you may win them to the Lord but they may still have some grave clothes hanging on their body. There's another step. It's called, this is going to blow some of you's mind. You haven't heard a Church of God preacher preach on this for 50 years, but it's called sanctification. And sanctification is when you get the wrapping taken off. It's when the grave clothes come off. Oh, yeah, I've been raised up, but I'm still bound up. I've been raised up, but I'm still wrapped up. Jesus said, I got another step for you, boy. It's through the blood. Not only are you saved, but let me dip you one more time. Let you be sanctified. Let's take the grave clothes off of you. I'm telling you, they sang about it this morning. He'll unwrap you. He'll wrap depression off of you. You may not be able to shake depression, but he'll wrap it off of you. He'll unwrap the guilt and shame of a past life off of you. Some people can't get past the past. And the devil constantly reminds them of the past. And they say, well, I'm too mean to 
for the Lord to save. If you knew what, I, what I've done, you'd, you'd say God cannot forgive you. God will never save you. But I'm telling you, there's an old gospel song that said, I am free from the guilt of the past. I've traded my shackles for a glorious song. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, free at last. He'll unwrap, I'm just going to hit a few of these. I don't have a lot of time. He'll unwrap the power of peer pressure off of your life. Some people can't do anything till they check out, see how their friends feel about it. He'll unwrap fear. Well, there's a good one off of your life. I've never seen a time when so many people are fearful. Men's hearts are failing them for fear. But if you have a problem in that area, I'm telling you on Palm Sunday, let him take the wrapper off. He'll take the fear where you can sleep like a baby at night. Well, I'm wondering where I need to go here. I'm going to go there. I feel bold. I'm going to go there. He'll unwrap bitterness. And hatred off your life. He'll unwrap the hurt off your life where somebody somewhere has done you wrong. That's, how, that's why we got country music because somebody did somebody wrong. Well, I've been done wrong. Well, get in line. The line starts at Summerton and, and it doesn't even end past Tokyo, Japan. It's, everybody's been done wrong. All right, I'm going to go there. A lot of the problems, because you've got to be careful what you say in Alabama when you're in my job. They know in Mobile, Alabama, when I pour my cereal in my bowl, whether I'm using skim or I'm using whole, by the time I take the first bite. But a lot of the issues that pastors deal with and a lot of the issues that overseers deal with and a lot of issues that churches are tore up by is just simply by the fact We've got a bunch of raised up people, but they've never had the wrapper off. They're not unwrapped. Well, I'd like to spend some more time there. Maybe I'll come back and give you the second dose of that one day. But it's 10 till, and I know Pastor Victor is always done at noon. But I want you to notice one more thing in this passage of Scripture. The Bible said when Jesus came to that tomb that day, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Just going to pause there till that sinks in. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus gave three commands that day, two to the living and one to the dead. We know the one to the dead. Lazarus what? Come forth. I've already told you one command, loose him and let him go, but 
the first command before anything kicked into gear, before any of the power of God was engaged, before any resurrecting occurred, one thing was a preliminary deal. One thing was a requirement. And that is, Martha, whatever you got to do, get you some people, move that stone. I had nothing to do with that stone, Jesus would say. I didn't put it there. You know, that stone is there for one purpose. You know what it is? It's to keep the dead in and to keep the living out. It separates the realm of the living from the dead. Jesus said, all I'm asking you to do is the rolling. I'm not asking you to do the raising. See, we think we, can, we think we can save somebody. We think we can heal somebody. When the Holy Ghost doesn't move fast enough, we want to help him out. God doesn't need your help. All he wants you to do is get the stone out of the way, and he'll do the raising. We want to argue with him. Lord, I, I, I don't want to move that stone. Mar Martha said, no, 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 no. We can't move that stone. We move that stone, you're going to smell him. He's been dead four days. He stinks by now. I can't, I can't see him like that. I can't stand to look on him like that. Well, Martha, we're just going to stand here till you make up your mind because I'm not moving that stone. I didn't put that stone there. Man put that stone there. Finally, she moved the stone. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I ask you, Summerton Church of God, what stones do we have rolled up to the front door of our church? To separate the living in here from the dead out there? Oh, but it smells. Yeah, it smells. The harvest is messy. People are hurting. They're not sanitized and shrink wrapped like you want them to be. But I ask you, here's the question. What stone do we need to move or stones do we need to roll away from the door of our church so that revival can break out and we can see people resurrected to life that are spiritually dead around our altar. I just thought of a few of them. See, I, I deal with dead things a lot. Well, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Well, I went down the road yesterday and I could think right off the bat of seven churches that I'm closing right now and putting up for sale in the state of Alabama, the Church of God. You, you sort of been with me up to here, but now you're wondering where I'm headed, aren't you? You ever been on an airplane and the light comes on fast in the seatbelt? If you got one, you better put it on right now. One stone I've seen rolled up to the front door of a church to keep the dead out and the living in. It's called a stone of prejudice. Oh, God, he didn't go there. No, no, not on Palm Sunday. I call it the strainer. The strainer. Anybody got a strainer in your kitchen? The strainer. 
I'm not talking about white, black, red, yellow. That's not the issue I'm talking about here. I'm talking about we pray, oh, Lord, send us a harvest. Will we accept the harvest that rolls up in our, our parking lot if he sends them our way? Oh, oh, we're fine. We got the strainer at the door. We got the stone of the strainer. You know what a strainer's there for? Boy, this is dangerous when a preacher gets this far. The strainer catches stuff you don't want from coming on in. Oh, yeah, send a, Lord, we want a harvest. You may regret having me this morning. Lord, send us a harvest. We want the harvest. Lord, we love the harvest. Just make sure it's the bank president and the principal. You ever heard of the Mount Perrin Church of God? One of the oldest and largest churches in our movement. You know what happened there? It was when a pastor named Paul Walker got on his knees and was crying, God, send us a harvest. And the Lord said, you will not accept the harvest that I send your way. It was during the hippie movement. He said, God, if you'll send them, we'll love them. And it was nothing from the old Hipfield church to where they are now to see a man in a $1,000 three-piece suit sitting right beside a hippie on the floor with braids and beads. But you see, there was a pastor one day that said, I tell you what I'm going to do if it kills me, Lord. We're going to move the strainer out from the front door and we're going to have an open arm and we're going to say, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Bring him in, Lord. We'll take the harvest just like you send them. We'll take the poor. We'll take the disenfranchised. Oh, God, bring them in and we'll love them with the love of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Woo, Hallelujah. I got to hurry. I got five minutes. Another one's the stone of jealousy. We don't want the harvest because we're afraid they're going to take our job in the church. You got, you got a, you got over here now that says it the way it is, so. They're going to outgrow, and they're going to be the majority, and we're not going to be the majority anymore, and they're going to make the decision for our church. I, I was at one church one time in South Georgia as a state evangelist, and I felt something go like this. And I looked up, and there was a little gray-haired, top-knot-wearing grandma standing there. You know what she told me? She had never seen me in my life. You got my seat! <laughs> what did you do? I moved! You know how many revivals I'd get after that if somebody said I got body slammed by a grandma? <laughs> the stone of jealousy. I'm just telling it like it is. Well, you're smiling at me. You are being courteous. I appreciate that because I, I'm afraid you're just going to run me out with a stick. Another stone is the stone of tradition. Woo, he didn't go there. Oh, yes, he did. Jesus knew about this stone. He fought this stone every day of his ministry. Pharisees and the Sadducees were proud of it. We never did it that way before. I'm telling you, if you're planning on winning millennials, 
and Gen Xers, you want more than a dying dead church full of old people like me. Then you may just have to change a little bit and do things a little bit. I'm not talking about compromising the message. The message never changes. Well, I could go there a good while, but I'll, just, I'll stop before I kill all the spirit that's left in this place. You're not going to like the next one either. Are you ready for this? Back there in the back, somebody just give me a good Baptist nod. There you go. All right. That's about all I got. It. Another is the stone of convenience. The comfort zone stone. Lord, we'll accept the harvest if it doesn't cost us too much. We'll accept the harvest if it doesn't inconvenience us too much. You know, we're busy now. We got soccer practice and baseball practice and my kids in gym and my kids come home with a ton of homework every night. And you know, if I can have is, is anything as a as a microwave harvest, Lord, do we have a five-minute Pop-Tart harvest? Can, can, any harvest that doesn't cost us too much. It doesn't take too long. We just don't have time to be inconvenienced, Lord, by the harvest you may send us. You know, if you send us some messed up people, it's going to take a lot of time to disciple them. The pastor tell me, come on. You're not saying it, but he's saying it. And he's the one fixing to give me the check, so I'm coming on. So I'm telling you, if you want to get in the harvest and you want to reap a harvest for the Lord, if you're tired of a half-empty parking lot and you want a church that's full and a parking lot that's busting at the seams, you will be inconvenienced. The harvest is messy. The harvest is time-consuming. It takes time to win and disciple people. They're not going to come in with a Ph.D. and a three-piece million-dollar suit. Some of them's going to come in in shorts. Oh, my Lord. Some of them's going to come in in dungarees. Oh, God forbid. Bring the strainer back in there. Strain it off. I'm telling you, if where would Jesus be if he were in this town today? If he were in Birmingham on Sunday morning, I hate to break up your wonderful theory, but he would not be at the Summerton Church of God. Oh, my God, I've never heard anybody preach that. You want to know where he was? Look in the Bible, where he always was. That's why organized religion hated his guts. Because he wasn't down at the church house all prim and proper. He was with the publicans and the sinners and the outcasts. He was out there with the lost of the world and the harvest of the world. Okay. Let's bring it in a little bit closer. Mm. Somebody in the back. Mm. What are the personal stones? You see, we get comfortable with our stones. We, we come to church. Not here, the church down the street. I'm not, I'm not talking about door either. Don't go tell Brother Smith that. 
We go Sunday after Sunday and nobody gets saved and nobody gets filled with the Spirit in our altars. We drive up in the parking lot. We have our good feeling. We go home and eat our Sunday dinner and sit in our chair and watch the NFL and take our Sunday nap and never think a thing about it. We have become comfortable with our stones. That's why I've got seven churches I'm having to sell. Something happened there. You see, we've got the stone. It's, keep, it's keeping the dead out. We, if we can just get it, get the tithe and pay the bills and hold our own till Jesus comes. Pastor, aren't we doing pretty good? You ever find that in the Bible? But what are the personal stones? You see, what are the personal stones that are keeping somebody you're acquainted with or a loved one or someone you know that is spiritually dead experiencing spiritual resurrection? And you're not going to like what I'm fixing to say, but you may have to go back and make some things right. You may have to even say I'm sorry for something you really didn't do. But they were the ones, I know. But they're the ones that said, I know. They were the ones that jumped on my kids, I know. But they're dead. Dead people can't move stones. Only the living, believing can move the stone. We've got kids, members' kids and preachers' kids that will never darken the door of the church of God because of something that's happened. It's like Andy Griffiths, a feud is a feud. You got the Carters and the Wakefields. And they don't know what they're feuding about. They're just feuding because their daddy feuded and their granddaddy feuded. And we carry on all this junk and there's all this baggage. You may have to, this Easter season, think of somebody that offended you. My Lord, God forbid that I should ever go to them and say, can we make this right? It's just like Home Alone 1 where the old man went and sat in the middle of the church to hear his granddaughter sing in the choir, but him and his son had had words. And they weren't willing to get together and make it right. What are the stones You're trying to preach us under conviction. You got that right. I need to be under conviction. You need to be under conviction. All God's children need to be under conviction until we can break out of the four walls of a church and start affecting the culture of the community where we live. <laughs> Moody didn't just want to get a church full of God. When Moody would go preach revivals, the whole community would get saved. Drunkards would come off the street and fill the choir. Hey, that's the way the gospel is. It shouldn't just change inside a church. It should go outside and change the culture of the community where you and I live. Until it does that, we're really not having true biblical revival. Well, are you mad at me? I guess so. But I've delivered my heart today. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I'm hungry for the harvest. 
But you may have sat in this first part of this message when I was preaching about being raised up and unwrapped. Before you get to the stone rolling part, you, you may just need a little unwrapping this morning. It may be that every day of your life you wake up and there's fear, fear to go out the door, fear to go to work, fear somebody's going to shoot me, fear my kids are going to get in trouble, somebody's going to kill my kids, fear. You may battle depression and nobody even know it but you. You may be so discouraged this morning you couldn't even hardly get out of your bed on Palm Sunday to come to church because you're just, you're just, you're just feeling so low. You may be here this morning and you may be battling some type of habit that still clinging to your life. Oh yes, I came and gave my heart to Jesus. I, I came out of the tomb, but I, I've still got some wrapping on me. You may be so pressured by peer pressure that you can't even make a decision without trying to figure out what your friends are going to think about it. But I'm telling you, he'll unwrap you this morning. You don't have to stay raised up and unwrapped. He'll He'll unwrap guilt off you. It may be the devil hounds you about your past. You can't even enjoy your future in the Lord without worrying about your past. You feel shame and discouragement, but I'm telling you, he'll unwrap you this morning. You may be bitter inside. Somebody might have done you wrong in the church of God or you may have been hurt real bad by somebody. What they said to me, preacher, you, you wouldn't imagine it hurt me. My mom and dad always told me, you're no good. You'll never amount to anything. You're a sorry, sorry son. You're a sorry daughter. You may be bullied at school and people at school tell you that you're not worth much anything. They may call you names. I'm telling you, there's all kind of stuff. Pastor Vicky, I mean, Pastor Victor and Jamie that we get wrapped up in. We get wrapped up in so much mess and life is so complex. It has so many, so many tentacles like an octopus that just wraps around us like a spider web. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ would love on this Palm Sunday to unwrap somebody here today just to cause those shackles, those chains, just to fall off of you. And for the first time in weeks or months or years, you get in your car out in this parking lot and you go home so free. You may have sin in your life you've never asked Jesus to forgive. I know I'm hitting a lot of stuff. And your life's a mess and heartache is the order of the day. Every day you live you live brokenhearted. It's like you're living under a black cloud. But I'm telling you, you don't have to go to Winterfest to find it. 
You can find it there, but you don't have to just go to Winterfest to find it. You don't have to go call 1-800-MISS-CLEO or Dr. Phil to find it. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord that we're fixing to celebrate this week, he will unwrap it all off of you. It'll be just like wrapper off of candy. It'll just unwrap by the power of Jesus' name, and you can be free. Anybody in this place say, I want to be free? I don't think I can live another week this next week like the week I just come through. Preacher, I want to be free. I hunger to be free. I long to be free. Pastor Massey and Sister Jamie is going to come and stand in front of this pulpit right now and face this congregation as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And if you want prayer, you want something to be unwrapped off of you. You want God to set you free from something that is just overbearing in your life. I want you to come right down here and let this man and woman of God pray for you in the name of Jesus. Do it right now. Just get up right where you are and just come and stand across the front and they'll pray for you. Come on. Come on, come on. I just want to be unwrapped this morning. There's some things my wife don't even know it. My, my, my husband don't even know it. There's some things I'm battling. I need to be set free. Just come right down here and let them pray for you in the name of Jesus. You may be sick in body and you need healing. Come down here and let them pray for you. There may be some stones that you need to have rolled away that's keeping you Maybe your son from finding God or your brother from finding God. You've had words with a family member that's still between you. You, you need to come down here and release it and say, God, the first thing I'm going to do I'm gonna, this Easter week is I'm going to call my brother. I'm going to call my sister. I'm going to make that right, and we're going to roll that stone away so that they can find Jesus. They're fixing to sing. I want everybody to stand to your feet. All heads still bowed. All eyes are still closed. Come on down. If you need prayer this morning for anything, come on down. You may need to find the Lord this morning. You may have sin in your life. You never asked Jesus to forgive. You come down here. I'm telling you, he'll raise you up, and he'll unwrap you. Come on.